Well, if you would, take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 12. If you have a phone that has access to God's Word and you would like to open that up, we always encourage you to, to do that as well. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. The Bible has two different parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. You can find the New Testament about two-thirds of the way in. And, and the New Testament begins with four books called Gospels that tell the good news of, of the life and teaching and ministry of Jesus. And Matthew is the first one of those. And we spent several months in the book of Matthew. And then we began this new series about who is God And the Lord just continued to bring me back to the book of Matthew, the way that chapter 10 and 11 and 12 have fallen into place and helping us understand who God is. And so we are going to look at a passage from the book of Matthew that's proven kind of controversial, but we're also going to frame it with a lot of other scripture. And so you can look at the scripture up on the screen. We're going to be looking a lot in the book of Ephesians. If you want to look over there as well during the sermon, on the back of your program, your bulletin that you got when you came in, there are some sermon notes that you can use to follow along with the sermon if you want to jot some down there. And then, as a last resort, if you just get lost and say, you know what, there were some things I missed, send me an email. I would be glad to send you the list of verses. I'll just copy and paste my notes to you, and and I'd be glad to send it to you that way. But we... Because we're coming together this morning on a topic like, who is God, the Holy Spirit, I really, really, really wanted to undergird it with as much scripture as I could. Because when you start to talk about the Holy Spirit, the conversation can go in so many different directions. And and so we're trying to build a solid foundation this morning for what we're, we're talking about. So what we'd like to do as we start out is read a portion from Matthew chapter 12. If you would, stand with us in the honor of reading God's word. I know I haven't mentioned the verse number yet, but we're going to pick up in verse 22 there of, of Matthew chapter 12. Here's what God's word says. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? If I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can rob his house. Verse 30, he who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Father, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you that we gather this morning because of Jesus Christ, because of his life, his death, his resurrection. And we gather around your word only by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not to hear any particular person talk, not to come together for a ritual, but Father, because we need your spirit to move in our lives, in our church, in the world around us. And so God, I pray that you would teach us a little bit this morning about what that looks like and what that looks like as we live it out in our lives as we are submitted before you. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So we've been talking about this question, who is God? And we started with the idea that when we talk about God from the perspective of Scripture, we're talking about God as Trinity, which means one God. Scripture is clear from beginning to end, there is one God, and it is equally clear from beginning to end that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are co-equal and co-eternal, existing as God. And that's something that seems beyond our comprehension. It's something that seems way out there. And yet as we continue to explore it more and more, we realize how these ideas are at the foundation of what it means to be a Christian. If we really understand what it means to follow the Lord, if we really understand what it means for our lives to be transformed, we can't just pass by this question of who is God. It becomes the foundation of of our lives and especially the foundation of our church. And so this morning we're talking about who is God, the Holy Spirit. Now in all of these questions, there is way more to explore than we can do in in a little block of time on Sunday morning. A couple of quick resources that, that you can check out. Corey, just a little bit ago, mentioned a book called Forgotten God. Uh, by a man named Francis Chan. That's a great resource. Uh, Many of you have read that book. I know many of you here have been a part of Bible studies and you've worked through that book. We're not in any way equating that book with Scripture, but it is an exploration of what it means to understand the Holy Spirit, what it means to understand who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in our lives. And so it's, it's an enjoyable read. And it's also a very important foundational theology book. And so I think it's something that if you are looking for a next book to read as you explore your faith and explore Christianity and do I really believe this and what does it mean, it's a good place to go. It's a good, good resource to check out. Also, there's a gentleman by the name of Dr. David Platt who is the president of Uh, The group of churches that our church is a part of has an international missions group, and Dr. Platt is the head of that group, and he does different teaching sessions that he calls Secret Church, and one of the Secret Church uh, meetings was about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and so you can go on to their website, it's radical.net, and you can track down that teaching. If you don't have a computer, but you would be interested in having a copy of that, just let me know. I almost said send me the email, but if you don't have a computer, you're not going to be sending me an email. So uh, call me from your landline, the little, you know, turn dial phone. And I'll, when I was growing up, my family, I think, was the last family in our area to have one of the little turn-dial phones. Kids would come to my house just to call their parents just so they could use the little, uh, the little turn-dial phone. So we were, we were that, cool, that cool family. But uh, really, just let me know, and I will get you uh, a copy of that study guide so that we can, we can explore this question. Here is something I want to, to say up front. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, can easily turn into just confusion 
or even worse, it can turn into this burden. Uh, Maybe you've been a part of a church or grew up in a church where the Holy Spirit was so emphasized and and things like speaking in tongues or, or charismatic expressions were equated with the Holy Spirit, and if you didn't do that or you didn't participate in those things, you were considered almost outside the faith. And, and I realize we want to be so respectful as we talk about those things, but I don't know what your particular background is. The Holy Spirit was never meant to provide confusion and especially never pre- meant to provide a burden. The Holy Spirit gives life and the Holy Spirit leads us toward truth. And so if you find yourself confused, if you find yourself burdened, if you say, you know what, I'm just at square one on trying to understand what it means to be a Christian. I don't need to get into something really in-depth like the Holy Spirit. That in itself is a misunderstanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Because it's not something for the super elite Christian. It's not something for the advanced Christian. This is a subject that is at the very core of what it means to even become a Christian and then what it looks like to live that life. And so we just want to lay that foundation at the beginning that the Holy Spirit is not an add-on, not the forgotten God. He's at the very core of what it looks like to follow after Christ. We've been using a phrase together. It's the phrase, to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. When you think about God as Trinity... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are equal as God, but they are distinct in the roles that they play in, the way the relationships work. And so all things are done to the glory of God. We do those things through Jesus Christ. It's only because of him that we're able to come to the Father, which is what John 14 says. And we only do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this Christianity thing is not something that you do just because you think it's a good idea. Or you, not, you don't do it just because you grew up in the church. It is something that is only authentic as it's empowered by God's Spirit. And, and we're going to tap into that in, in just a minute. So the way we're going to go about this is a really cheesy outline on your bulletin of ready, set, go. And the idea, the way that God's Spirit works at every moment of our Christian life, from the very beginning when you become a Christian to your growth as a Christian, to what it means to share that with someone else. And and so that's kind of the pattern that that we're going to follow this morning. But before we get there, I want to establish two things up front. The first is the divinity of the Holy Spirit. What we mean by that is when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we are talking about God. Acts chapter 5 is going to be up on the screen. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 to 4. Look at what happens here in Acts 5. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God." If anyone ever says that the Holy Spirit is not truly God, Acts 5 seems to be as straightforward as you can possibly get. One verse it says, you have have lied to the Holy Spirit. Now your next verse, you've not lied to men, but to God. There is an absolute connection that's happening there in Acts 5. So the Holy Spirit is most certainly divine. The second thing is the personality of, of the Holy Spirit. We are going to practice this morning 
and God help me that I don't mess this up, the Holy Spirit is he, not it, okay? So when you talk about the Holy Spirit with everything that's inside of you, remember we're talking about he, person, Holy Spirit, not it, some weird force that that is out there. Sometimes the Holy Spirit gets put off as like your crazy uncle or crazy cousin that you don't want to introduce anybody to at the family reunion. You're like, oh yeah, there's God the Father. He's really great. And there's Jesus. He died on the cross for us. And then there's the Holy Spirit and he makes people do weird things in church. And you're like, we don't want to mention mention that guy. No, no, no. we're, We're talking about not a force, and let me say this, we talked about when we go through this sermon series, we want to talk about how our understanding of God compares with other religious groups, and I'm going to be straightforward and respectful, hopefully, at the same time. One very key difference between what we believe about Scripture and what Jehovah's Witnesses believe about Scripture is Jehovah's Witnesses are very straightforward that the Holy Spirit is a force, not a person. And we are saying exactly the opposite of that. That when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you're talking about a person of God at work. And you say, well, why, why do you believe that? Why is there such this distinction? Because so many times in Scripture, when the Holy Spirit is referred or referenced, the Holy Spirit is doing something that a person does. Look at these verses that are going to be up on the screen. John 14, 26. But the counselor... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things. Acts 13, 2. The Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and he gives them to each one. Ephesians 4, 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed. All of those references, and there are many more that show up in in the New Testament, refer to something that a person does. So we're not talking about a force like a Star Wars situation, that this is God's force that he sends out. We are talking about a person of God at work in our lives and at work in our world. So the question is, okay, when you say this is a big deal, what exactly does the Holy Spirit do? What, what are we talking about? What, what does he do? The first thing he does, and this is where we start to get into that list on, on your notes. The first thing he does is he makes us alive. Remember this, and this probably is one of my favorite quotes about the Christian faith. Being a Christian is not about bad people becoming good. It's about dead people coming to life. Okay? Our greatest need is not that we were bad people and we started to act good. Our greatest need in life is that we were dead and we needed someone to make us alive. You say, what do you mean by that? Romans 3.23 says that the wages of sin is death. The result of sin is not that we're a bad person, though that might be the case. The result of sin is that we are dead. And dead people don't need to act better. Dead people need to come back to life. And so what God's Spirit does is God's Spirit makes us alive. He is, when we turn and we trust in Jesus, he brings us from death to life. Romans 8.11. If the Spirit, and I love the way that Paul connects the way that Jesus 
rose from the dead to the way that we have new life. Romans 8.11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. So imagine this. The greatest miracle in the history of the world that Jesus was dead and that he rose again. The same spirit that caused him to have life again is the same spirit who caused you to have life again. To go from sin and death to being alive in Christ. Go in your mind back to the time that you became a Christian. For some of you, that was a couple of weeks ago. For some of you, you were five years old, and it's hard to remember yesterday. But, but go back to the time that you became a Christian. It is not just that you said, hey, I want to change religions. It's that we were dead in our sins, and by the power of God's Spirit, we were made alive again. That is what happens. And, and it's pictured in baptism. When someone goes down into the water, it represents Jesus dying for us. And when they come back up out of the water, it represents that we have that new life again. And many of you have taken that step of faith. Another verse, Titus chapter 3, verses 4 to 5. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Not because of what we had done, but because of the way that God's Spirit changed our life. We're going to go over a second to Ephesians. If you want to turn over in your Bible to the book of Ephesians, we're going to spend some time there. Don't lose Matthew 12. Though I know it's already too late for some of you because you flipped over. But uh, we're going to come back to Matthew 12. But we're going to spend some time in, in the book of Ephesians seeing how Paul describes God the Holy Spirit in, in that book. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. And these verses are going to be on the screen as well. But go to Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 through 14. I want you to see another example of what God's Spirit does in our life when we become a Christian. What does it mean for us to become a Christian? Ephesians chapter 1, 13 to 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Okay, a couple of things to point out here. The first is, the things that happened before you received the Holy Spirit were that you heard the truth about Jesus Christ and you believed. You say, well, why is that a big deal? Because some religious groups will teach that you have to have a special laying on of hands before you really receive the Holy Spirit. They will teach that you have to do particular things before you receive the Holy Spirit. And Paul is very straightforward here. You heard the word, and you believed, and you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. The idea of a seal here, the seal in the uh, Scripture can mean and represent different things. But here, it's almost that idea of a cattle prod or a cattle branding that you were, you were branded with the Holy Spirit. When, it, when a cattle, when a cow is branded, it's the idea of possession, 
of ownership, but not just possession, but also protection, that that rancher or farmer will, will protect that particular herd that has the seal on it. The same thing going on here, that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. God is saying, you are mine. I have given you my Holy Spirit so that you will know that you are mine. And then the next word is really important. It's the word guaranteed, that you have the guarantee that you are right with God because his spirit is working in you. It's not because of how good of a person you are. It's not because you did a bunch of good things. It's because God's spirit is at work within you. Now, a good question to ask right now would be, okay, that sounds good. How do I know that God's spirit is at work within me? Well, we're gonna do it from two angles. The first, have you heard the truth about Jesus and believed, given your life to him. If you've done that, you can have the confidence that you have God's spirit at work in your life and that he is your seal, he is your guarantee that you're made right with God. But also, over in the book of Romans, and these verses are up on the screen, but in the book of Romans, what it tells us is that God's spirit is at work within us and he makes us cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba there is kind of the word for daddy. It's a very informal, relational word for father. Here's what that passage means. It means that if you feel like you have to manufacture your spirituality or your religion or your relationship with God, if it feels mechanical and wooden, there might be a problem there. But if you just naturally cry out to God, you are my father, you created me, you designed me, you saved me through Jesus Christ by the power of your spirit. If that is a natural cry, then it's a sign that God's spirit is at work within you. I don't think, now I could be wrong about this, I don't think any of my children wake up in the morning, go down the hallway, get in the lockbox, and look at their birth certificate before they come and call me daddy. If they do, we have a major problem in our house. Number one, they can access the lockbox, and that's a, that's a major problem. Beyond that, we found out that our, your kids learn things really fast. We, we had a door that was locked, and Bennett was like, oh, I know how to unlock that. And he just went and got this little contraption and unlocked one of the locked doors in our house, and we knew, oh my word, we're in trouble now. And they've learned the code, our, the passcode on our phone now, so you have to change your passcode all the time on your phone because your kids learn your, uh, learn your passcode. But the, the point being, now that I've sidetracked my illustration, they don't have to go and find their birth certificate to know that I'm their father. They know that naturally. They just cry out, Daddy, because it is their natural relationship with me. When God's spirit is at work in our life, that is the connection there. What we know about the Holy Spirit is that the work of salvation to make us alive is something that only he can do. We don't have to manufacture that. We don't have to go through a particular set of religious steps. It is a spiritual experience, which means that you can look at someone and say, I am a Christian only because of the work of God in my life. For some of you, if you could go back to your early 20s or even into your 30s 
and look at some of your friends and say, hey, down the road, I'm going to be in church the Sunday after July 4th, they would look at you and say, there is no way that that will ever happen. Like that is just, that's not going to be your story. And you can look back at them and say, it's not because of me. It is only because of the work that God's spirit has done in my life. This is good news because when you tell someone that you're a Christian, you're not telling them that you're a better person than they are. You're telling them that God has done something in your life that you could never do on your own. That is what it means to experience God's spirit in our life. So it begins there, that's the ready, and then set on your notes is this idea of what does it look like for God's spirit to lead us as we live, live the Christian life. Tell you what, quick time out. Let's go back to Matthew 12 really quickly. These, these points kind of tie together going between one, one and two. I'm gonna go back to Matthew chapter 12 because of the controversy that is, is related to, to these verses. And some of them will be up on the screen as well. This situation where Jesus heals the demon-possessed man in Matthew 12, and then chapter, not chapter, but verse 24. When the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. But then a few verses down in verse 28, Jesus says, but if I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is turning into a power encounter. How is Jesus able to do this? Is he doing it because of the work of Satan, or is he doing it because it's the work of God? Down there in verse 31, And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, except the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Now, there's a lot of fear that can come with with a verse like that, because sometimes people will come to me and say, I'm afraid that I've committed the unpardonable sin. And, and they, are, they are terrified by it because it's so straightforward that if you have blasphemed against the Holy Spirit, that there's no possibility of, of forgiveness. What does that mean? What it means in these verses is that we attribute something that happens in our life to a, a source other than the Spirit of God. So let me back up and try again on that. This idea that a person can be saved, that they could experience God's work in their life in any other way except through the Spirit of God. So if someone says, you know what, I'm a spiritual person, I'm pretty good, me and God, we have our thing worked out, I go to church every once in a while, I try to be a good person, and that's pretty much it. They are taking something spiritual, saying that they are related rightly to God, and they are giving it a human origin. And nowhere in there did that require God's spirit to be at work. But they said that they were okay with God. Anytime 
we attribute something that should only be attributed to God and we give it another source or another reason that could happen, that's what it looks like to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. And so what it comes back to is it comes back to a hard-heartedness. It comes back to a selfishness. And the foundation of it is if you're worried that you've committed the unpardonable sin, you haven't committed the unpardonable sin because you're concerned about that. It shows that your heart is soft toward the things of God. And so there's no fear there. But what we do have to be reminded is that there is work that God does in our life only through his spirit. And that work continues beyond the point of salvation. So now let's move into point two, these, these marks of what it looks like to live by the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter three. This is an interesting passage. Galatians chapter three, verses two through three. Paul says, let me ask you this. Did you receive the Spirit? He's talking about salvation, the, the time that you became a Christian. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And all the people would have said, by hearing with faith. It wasn't anything we did, it, w- it was faith. Then are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? And every church leader has to stand up and pay attention at this because what's happening right here is Paul is telling them, you became a Christian through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way that you can grow as a Christian is how? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes, and look at me as exhibit A on doing this wrong, sometimes a person becomes a Christian and we say, that's incredible. And we celebrate with them and they're baptized. And then we say, here's a workbook. Go fill it out. Hope it works out well for you. And we send them out on their own, forgetting that you became a Christian by the work of God's Spirit and you will go grow as a Christian by the work of God's Spirit. If you are young in your faith or you say, you know what, I know I'm a Christian but I realize I haven't grown very much, I haven't developed very much, the answer to that is not to try harder. <laughs> the answer to that is saying, God, I need your Spirit to do something in my life that I can never do on my own. Because if you try to grow as a Christian on your own strength, we're working against God's plan for our life. Because God's plan for our life is that we experience his power in our life every single day. Next thing. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. It gives a description of how God's spirit works. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. So how how do I grow as a Christian? God's spirit will give you wisdom to know what to do, and God's spirit will give you understanding of what he has done in your life. This idea of revelation doesn't mean new revelations about what's going to happen in the future as in prophecy. It means understanding. We talked about this at a week away in Pensacola, so our, our teenagers have a, an understanding of what revelation means. But revelation means an unfolding or a revealing of who God is and how he works in our life. This is one of the things that God's Spirit does in our lives. Another thing that God's Spirit does is he gives us unity. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 18, this idea of unity 
For through Jesus Christ, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. You see those same words that we've seen over and over again throughout Scripture? To the Father, through Jesus Christ, by one Spirit. And then it says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Many of us, many of us have been a part of churches that did not have unity. And when you are looking for unity as a church, the place you look is the work of God's Spirit. Because when you come together, this idea of God's Spirit bringing salvation and God's Spirit bringing growth in our life, what that means is there is no room for pride. And pride is the number one barrier to having unity in a group of people. Because when you realize, and I realize, that the only reason we are here, and the only reason that our lives have been changed is because of God's Spirit, no one can stand up and say, yeah, but my family lineage goes back further. Or yeah, but I gave more money. Or yeah, but I did more good things last month. No. No, we are all here only because of God's Spirit, and that becomes our unifying factor. God has blessed our church. God is doing amazing things in our church. We are seeing people give in so many different ways. And if we're not careful, those things can actually become dividing points. Because then we start to look at that instead of looking at God's grace. And may we realize over and over and over again that it's only God's spirit that gives us unity. One more thing that that we realize about God's spirit is God's spirit is what leads us not what, who leads us toward holy living. What's the next verses on that? Uh, Ephesians four thirty to 32. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There's that word sealed coming up again. So what does that look like? Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one, or one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And then go to the next set of verses in Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. I love that it says speaking to one another and not singing to one another there. So uh, that's, very, that's a very crucial distinction because you don't want me singing to you. You want me speaking to you. It, it comes out much, much better that way. But what it's saying in those verses is that our ability to live holy lives, and, and Corey alluded to this perfectly when we were singing that song earlier about give us clean hands, our ability to lead holy lives comes only through the work of God's Spirit. And so he is the one that changes. He is the one who takes bitter people and makes them gentle. And he is the one who takes prideful people and makes them humble. And he is the one who takes angry people and makes them loving. He is the one who takes selfish people and makes them giving. And at any point you could raise your hand and say, I was that But because of God's spirit, I'm this. He is the one who changes my life from the inside out. 
One more thing about the way that God's Spirit works. God's Spirit works through His Word, through the Word of God, and through prayer. And this takes us to the end of of the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 19, actually 17 through 18, it says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. If you're here this morning and God is working in your life and you're saying, you know what? I want to see my life transformed. I want to know what it looks like to experience the power of God. I want my religion not to be manufactured and ritual. I want it to come from God's spirit. How do I do that? You turn to God's word and you spend time in prayer. And I know that you want to throw something at me and say, but that's so oversimplified, you're missing something. Except that it's right there. God has spoken to us by his spirit through his word. And so if we want to know him and what it looks like to follow him, we turn to his word. And we say, God, lead us. So many times when people talk about the Holy Spirit, they think of charismatic gifts, or they think of people running around, or they think of people having prophecies, instead of going back to the heart of the work of God's Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then you respond to God's Word by praying. And we are only able to truly pray when God's Spirit empowers that. Because it says that God's spirit intercedes for us, that it intercedes with us for groanings that express things that we could never express on ourselves, by, by ourselves. God, we thank you as we continue to pray together. Father, we thank you for your grace. That none of us stands before you on our own merit. God, that you remind us of your power and you remind us of your love. God, that you constantly do things we can never do on our own power through our own strength. And that includes praying for one another. God, we thank you for the hope and the assurance that comes through your Holy Spirit that the power that we experience now is just the beginning of what it will mean to receive the full inheritance of the kingdom. God, the hope that we have for eternity. God, would you make us a, a church committed to unity in the spirit that we would strive to live holy lives, not so we can be better than other people, but so that we can experience the work of your spirit in our lives. And God, that we would be centered in word and in prayer. We may get nothing else right, but God, help us get that right. God, I pray for the people that are here, Father, as you send us out from this place, we would continue to walk in the spirit. God, that you would continue to work in our lives. And God, may we continue to pray for one another. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.